Next Chapter Podcasts. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, Play On Podcast listeners. I want you to be a part of the cast. Become a supporting cast member with Play On Podcasts for just $5 a month. Get in-depth interviews featuring some of the most brilliant artists working today. I talk to actors, playwrights, directors, and producers from the worlds of theater and Hollywood, pulling back the curtain on why they got into their profession, why these stories are so relevant today, and providing context on the process of making these plays in the podcast format. You'll enjoy ad-free episodes of the Play On podcast series and maybe even a gift or two. Head over to playonpodcasts.com, click Supporting Cast, and join the club today. We so love creating this content for you, and we hope you'll support us so we can bring you inside this rejuvenated, reimagined Shakespearean world. Join the cast, Supporting Cast. Go to ncpodcasts.com. Next Chapter Podcasts presents the Play On podcast series, Henry V. Episode 4, Harry Leroy. For the best listening experience, be sure to use headphones or earbuds. And don't forget, St. Crispin's Day. How now, Captain Fluellen? Come you from the bridge? I assure you, Captain Gower, there is very excellent military strategy underway at the bridge. Is the Duke of Exeter safe? The Duke of Exeter is as magnanimous as Agamemnon, and a man that I love and honor with my soul, and my heart, and my duty, and my life, and my living, and my uttermost power. He has not been hurt in any way, praise and blessing be to God, but he keeps the bridge most valiantly with excellent discipline. There's also an ensign lieutenant there at the bridge, and it is my honest opinion that he is as valiant a man as Mark Antony. He holds no rank or reputation, but I did see him perform much gallant service. What do you call him? He is called Ensign Pistol. I know him not. Here's the man. Captain, I beseech of thee a favor. The Duke of Exeter doth love thee well, yes? Aye, I praise God. I have merited his respect. Well, there is a soldier of the name Bardoff. He is good of heart and buxom valor, and yet he has, by cruel fate and the furious 
fickle wheel of fortune, you see, fortune, that goddess blind who oversees that freely fungible stone of fate. Stop you there, Ensign Pistol. No. Fortune is painted blind with a muffler over her eyes to signify that fortune is blind. That is the point. And she is painted also with a wheel to signify that she is turning and in constant and mutability and variation. And her foot, look, you, is firmly set upon a spherical stone which rolls and rolls and rolls. So you see, poets do make a most excellent description of fortune. She is an excellent metaphor. Fortune is Bardolph's foe. She frowns on him now, for he hath been found stealing a pax from a church. You see, just a tiny golden holy tablet bearing an image of crucifixion. And for this transgression, Exeter has decreed he must be hanged. A damned death. Let the gallows gape for dogs, but let this man go free. Do not allow a rope his windpipe to suffocate all for a, a pax of little price. Therefore, go speak to him. Exeter will hear thy voice. Do not let Bardolph's vital thread be cut with a cheap cord and such humiliation. Speak for his life, Captain, and I will repay thee. Ensign Pistol, I do partly understand your meaning. (laughs) Why then, rejoice, therefore. (laughs) But you see, Ensign, it is not a thing to rejoice at. For you see, even if he were my brother, I would desire the Duke to use his proper judgment and put him to execution. For discipline must be maintained. Die and be damned, and the finger to thy friendship! Very well. The finger Spain! Very good. Why, I remember him now. The man is an absolute counterfeit rascal, a whoremonger and a thief. I'll assure you he uttered as brave words at the bridge as you shall ever see in a summer's day, but it is no matter, it is well and just, I warrant you, upon what he has spoken to me. Why, he's a rube, a fool and a rogue. One of those men who now and again will pick a war to join in order to return home to London with pretended honor. Yet in truth, he simply studies to perfection every great commander's name, so as to recite by rote where each battle was fought. At such and such location, at such a fortress, with such battalion. Who fought bravely? Who was shot? Who disgraced? What the terms of surrender were? And all this he will speak in most perfect military rhetoric, embellished with all the lingo of the day. Picture him now, wearing a wartime beard cut to look like a general's. Imagine what such play-acting can do among the foaming, ale-washed witlessness of their peers in public house haunts. You must learn to identify such slanderers, or else you may be marvelously mistook. I tell you what, Captain Gower, I do perceive he is not the man that he would like the world to think he is. If I find the opportunity, I will tell him my mind. Hark you, the king is coming, and I must speak with him of the bridge. God bless your majesty. How now, Flewellyn? Come you from the bridge? Aye, so please your majesty. The Duke of Exeter has very gallantly maintained the bridge. The French are dispatched, you see, and there was a gallant and most brave contest. Mary the adversary did have possession of the bridge, but we did enforce him to flee, and now the Duke of Exeter is master of the bridge. I can tell your majesty the Duke is a brave man. 
What men have you lost, Flewellen? The destruction of the adversary has been great, very great. Mary, for my part, I think the Duke hath lost never a man, but one that is likely to be executed for robbing a church. One Bardolph, if your majesty know the man, his face is all bubbles and whelks and knobs and inflammation, and his lips blow up at his nose like a coal of fire, sometimes blue and sometimes red, but his nose is executed and his fire's out. We shall have all such offenders so cut off. And we give express charge that in our marches through the country there be nothing stolen from the villages, nothing taken but paid for, none of the French upbraided or abused in disdainful language. For when it is mercy versus cruelty for a kingdom, the gentler gamester will always win. A French ambassador arrives, Melly. You know me by my coat of arms. Well, then I know thee. What shall I know of thee? My master's mind. Unfolded. Thus says my king. Say thou to Harry of England, though we seemed dead, we did but sleep. Opportunity is a better soldier than rashness. Tell him we could have rebuked him at Harfleur, but that we thought it best to bruise an injury once it's grown full ripe. Mm. Now we speak upon our cue, and our voice is imperial. England shall repent his folly, see his weakness, and admire our restraint. <laughs> Bid him, therefore, to calculate what amount he can pay as ransom, in penalty to us for the losses we have borne, the subjects we have lost, the insult we have digested. His life alone shall be insufficient for repayment. <laughs> He owns but little asset, and the entirety of his kingdom is too tiny a thing to appease the blood we've shed. Even should he kneel his weak and worthless body down at our feet, it would not meet our satisfaction. To this add defiance, and in conclusion, tell him he hath betrayed his followers, for their death and damnation will be absolute. So says my king and master, I have done my office. What is your name? I know your quality. Montjoy. Mm-hmm. You do your office fairly. Turn back now and tell your king I do not seek him now, but could be willing to march to Calais without impediment. Tis unwise to confess this to an enemy with such advantages, but my people are with sickness, much enfeebled. My number's low, and those few are barely better than French. When they were in health, I tell thee, Harold, I thought upon one pair of English legs did march three Frenchmen. Yet, forgive me, God, that I do brag thus. Tis a vice I've learned after too much time in France. <clears throat> I repent. Go, therefore, tell your master, here I am. My ransom is this frail and worthless trunk, my army but a weak and sickly guard, and yet by God, tell him we will come on, though your king and all his noble neighbors stand in our way. Take this for your labor, Montjoy, and go bid your master take heed. If we may pass, we will. If we be hindered, we shall discolor your tawny ground with all your red blood. And so, Montjoy, farewell. 
The sum of all our answer is but this. We would not seek a battle as we are, but as we are, we say we will not shun it. So tell your master. I shall deliver so. Thanks to your highness. I hope they will not come upon us now. We're in God's hand, brother. Not in theirs. March to the bridge for it draws toward night. Beyond the river we'll encamp ourselves. Onward we will make our march tomorrow. Tut, I have the best armor of the world. Would it were day? You have an excellent armor, Lord Constable, but let my horse have his due. It is the best horse of Europe. Ah, uh, will it never be morning? My Lord of Orléans and my Lord High Constable, you talk of horse and armor? Oh, dash, you dash. are as well provided of both as any prince in the world, Dauphin. Mm. What a long night is this. I would not change my horse with any that treads but on four pasterns. Slaha! <laughs> he bounds from the earth as if his entrails were hairs. Le cheval volant. The Pegasus. Chez les narines de feu. When I bestride him, I soar. I am a hawk. He trots the air. The, the earth sings when he touches it. The basest horn of his hoof is more musical than the pipe of Hermes. He's as brown as nutmeg. <laughs> and as spicy as ginger. It is a beast worthy of Perseus. He is pure air and fire. Ugh. And the dull elements of earth and water never appear in him, but only in patient stillness while his rider mounts him. He is indeed a horse. All others merely beasts. Indeed, my lord, it is a most absolute and excellent horse. It is the prince of palfreys. His neigh is like the bidding of a monarch, and his face inspires poetry. <sighs> No more, cousin! Nay, base is he who cannot express deserved praise upon my horse from the rising of the lark to the lodging of the lamb. It is a theme as boundless as the sea. If sand had tongues, then every grain throughout the world would sing eloquent verse in honor of my horse. Tis a subject for a sovereign to study on, and for a sovereign sovereign to ride on. Tis a horse for all the wide world, both strangers and friends, to stop and marvel upon. I once wrote a sonnet in his praise, and it began thus. Wonder of nature. I have heard a sonnet to one's mistress begin so. <laughs> <laughs> then did that poet imitate this sonnet, which I composed to my horse, for my horse is my mistress. Oh, your mistress bears well. <laughs> it bears well for me, which is the most perfect praise for a good and particular mistress. Nay, for yesterday, I thought your mistress rode you quite roughly. <laughs> so perhaps did yours. Oh! <laughs> Mine was not bridled. <laughs> oh, then perhaps she was gentle, and twas you who rode rough, like some Irish foot soldier in very tight trousers. <laughs> you have good judgment in horsemanship. Yes, therefore heed my warning. He who rides often and yet rides careless shall fall into a foul bog. I'd rather have my horse than my mistress. I'd rather have my mistress. <laughs> I tell thee, constable, my mistress wears his own hair. 
<laughs> I could make as true a boast as that if I had a sow as my mistress. <laughs> Les chiens et reptiles ont son propre vomissement. Elle a tué la vie à Bouvier. You would make anything your mistress. Ooh. Yet I do not make my horse my mistress, so that proverb is far beside the point. <laughs> my Lord Constable, the armor that I saw in your tent tonight, are those stars or suns upon it? Stars, my Lord Bourbon. Some of them will fall off tomorrow, I hope. And yet my sky shall not want. <laughs> that may be, for you bear so many superfluously, it would be more honorable if some went away. Just as your horse bears your praises, he would trot far better if some of your boasting were dismounted. Would I could to load him with all deserved praise. <sighs> will it never be day? I will trot tomorrow a mile, and my way shall be paved with English faces. I will not say the same for fear I'll end up face down. But I do wish it were morning, for I would gladly face those English faces. Who'll hazard a bet with me to capture 20 prisoners? Ooh. You must first go to hazard yourself, ere you have them. Ugh. I shall don my armor. He longs to eat the English. I think he will eat all he kills. By the white hand of my lady, he's a gallant prince. Swear by her foot, and she might tread on your oath. He is simply the most active gentleman of France. Acting is activity, so I he is ever acting. He never did harm that I heard of. Nor will he do any tomorrow. He will keep that much intact. <laughs> I know him to be valiant. I've heard that before, and from someone who knows him better than you do. Who? Mary, he told me so himself, and he said he cared not who knew it. <laughs> <laughs> he has no need to care, for his virtues are not hidden. By my faith, sir, but they are. None have seen his virtue but his squire. If he has any courage at all, it would likely run away upon greeting. I will never spoke well. I will cap that proverb with, there is flattery in friendship. And I will take up that with, give the devil his due. <laughs> well said. Your friend stands in for the devil, and therefore, all saint without, all devil within. Uh, you are better at proverbs. <laughs> My lord high constable, the English lie within 1,500 paces of your tents. Who has measured the ground? The lord Grandpre. A valiant and most expert gentleman. Would it were day! Alas, poor Harry of England, he longs not for the dawning as we do. What a wretched and peevish fellow is this King of England to wander about with his fat-brained followers so far out of his depth. If the English had any sense of reason, they would run away. Reason? That they lack. For if they had any intellectual metal, they would never wear such heavy helmets. <laughs> <laughs> that island of England breeds very valiant creatures. English dogs are rather courageous. They are foolish curs that run blindly into the mouths of bears. They'll have their heads crushed like rotten apples. You may as well say, that's a valiant flea that dares eat his breakfast on the lip of a lion. Yes, just. And the men are the same as the dogs. In their rough and robust ferociousness, they leave their wits with their wives. Give them great meals of beef and iron and steel. They will eat like wolves and fight like devils. Aye, but these English are very much all out of beef. Then shall we find tomorrow that they have only stomachs to eat and none to fight. 
Now, it is time to arm. Come, shall we about it? It is now two o'clock. Let's see. By ten, we shall each have a hundred Englishmen. Now, if you'll indulge the passage of time, as darkness engulfs the murmurs creeping across the wide vessel of the universe. From camp to camp, under foul womb of night, the hum of either army lightly sounds. A mindful sentinel could almost hear the secret whispers from each army's watch. Fires burn on both sides, and in their pale flames, each battalion sees the other's shadow face. Horses threaten horses in high proud neighs, piercing the dull night's ear. And from the tents, the sound of blacksmiths, their busy hammers closing rivets on the armor of knights, a fearful and final preparation. The country cocks do crow, the clocks do toll, at the drowsy hour of three past midnight. Proud of their numbers and secure in soul, the confident and overlusty French placed their bets on the expected volume of their victory. They chide the languid and slow-moving night as it limps away, like a foul, tedious, and idle slug. These poor condemned English sit patiently by their fires, like offerings to sacrifice, while they privately ruminate upon what great danger awaits them come morning. When the gazing moon looks down upon them and sees their gaunt faces and war-worn coats and mistakes them for ghosts. Oh, but do you see the royal captain of this ruined band walking from watch to watch, from tent to tent, and cry out praise and glory unto him, for he goes forth to visit every man bids them good morrow with a modest smile and calls them brothers, friends, and countrymen. Upon his royal face, there is no hint of how dread an army has surrounded him, nor does he lose even one bit of color from this long and weary and restless night. How fresh he looks, for he does well disguise his fatigue with cheerful disposition and sweet majesty. Every soldier however pale and pining, finds comfort when he finds our Harry, much like the sun. His generous eyes give boundless gifts to all. They can thaw cold fear and give to all men, both low and highborn, a little touch of Harry in the night. For the next scene now, we must fly to the battle. Oh, pity, for we shall much disgrace these next events with but four or five theatrical swords. Tis a ridiculous translation of Agincourt, but please stay and gently see. Conjure the truth from what these mockeries be. Tis true we are in great danger, the greater therefore should our courage be. There is sometimes goodness in evil things if men could only learn to extract it. For though our neighbors wake us so early, this is both healthy and good maintenance. Besides, they also act as our conscience. 
much like a priest who reminds us that our souls should always be prepared for our deaths. Thus may we gather honey from the weeds and find morality in the devil himself. Good morrow, old Sir Thomas Erpingham. A good soft pillow for that good white head would be better than this rough turf of France. Not so, my liege. This lodging likes me better, since I now can say I lie like a king. <laughs> <laughs> and here's a fine example of how one finds comfort in painful circumstances. Oh, it eases my spirits. For when the mind is active, the internal organs wake themselves as well, casting off their disuse to move with fresh and new agility. Lend me your cloak, Sir Thomas. Uh, my cousin, bear my greetings to the princes in camp. Say good morrow from me, and then anon invite them all to my pavilion. I shall, my liege. Shall I wait upon your grace? No, my good knight. Go with my brothers to my lords of England. My soul and I must debate a while, and so I should have no other company. The Lord in heaven bless thee, noble Harry. God of mercy, old heart, thou speakst cheerfully. Quivala, A friend. Announce yourself. Art thou an officer, or art thou base, common, and popular? I am a gentleman of the company. Art thou a spear carrier? Even so, what are you? As good a gentleman as the emperor. Oh, then you are better than the king. Uh, the king's a dear boy with a heart of gold, a lad of life, an imp of fame, of parents good, of fist most valiant. I kiss his dirty shoe, and from heartstring, I love the lovely bully. My name is Pistol Called. <laughs> it, it suits well your fierceness. What is thy name? Harry. Uh, the Roy. <laughs> the Play On podcast series, Henry V, was translated into modern English verse by Lloyd Saw and directed by Krista Williams. The cast is as follows. Bobby Moreno as Henry V. Brad Bellamy as Fluellen. Paco Tolson as Dolphin and others. Nikki Masood as Catherine, Boy and others. Steve Boyer as Pistol. Colleen Wortman as Exeter and others. Jeff Beale as Constable and others. Brittany K. Allen as Gower and others. Andy Lucien as Bardolph and others. Socorro Santiago as Hostess and others. Jordan Barbour as the King of France and others. Lloyd Saw as the Chorus and Williams. Casting by the Telsey office Karen Castle, CSA, and Ada Karamanian. Voice and text coach, Julie Foe. Episode scripts were adapted and produced by Catherine Eaton. Original music composition, sound design, and mix by Shane Reddig. Sound engineering by Sadaharu Yagi. Mix engineer and dialogue editor, 
Larry Walsh, and Robert McNabb. Podcast mastering by Greg Cortez at New Monkey Studio. Coordinating producer, Transcend Streaming, Kira Bowie and Liana Keyes. Script supervisor, Jordan Moore. Managing producer, Robert Capadona. Executive producer, Michael Goodfriend. The senior manager of business operations and partnerships at Next Chapter Podcasts is Sally Cade Holmes. The play on podcast series Henry V is produced by Next Chapter Podcasts and is made possible by the generous support of the Hits Foundation. Visit ncpodcasts.com for more about the Play on Podcast series. Visit playonshakespeare.org for more about Play on Shakespeare. Hear more about the Play on Shakespeare podcast series by listening to bonus content at ncpodcasts.com where you'll find interviews with the artists, producers, and engineers who brought it all to life. And don't forget, St. Crispin's Day. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Next Chapter Podcasts.